0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the 20th century, one of the most popular authors was a man named Louis L'Amour. I'm sure many of you have heard of him before. During his 80-year lifespan, he wrote over 100 literary works, and of those works, the vast majority are Western novels, classic Louis L'Amour books. Louis L'Amour Western novels, They often feature tough characters like the Sackett brothers. They're filled with intense firefights and, of course, gunslinging showdowns. And while you can count on all those things showing up in Louis L'Amour's Western novels, there's one thing you can be sure of right from the start. The hero is going to win. That's one thing you can count on. The hero is going to win. No matter what the odds, even if he's all on his own, he will come out on top And we find a similar thing in the Samson story. At certain points in the Samson story, all the odds are stacked against him, it seems. It's one man against all of the Philistines. And there are points in this story, the Philistines appear to have him just where they want him. Yet just when they think they're going to win, that's when they lose another battle. We're going to see that in our text this morning, too. Yet it would be wrong to say that in these moments, Samson is all on his own. No, he's not. We must remember as we read the Samson story that this is primarily God at work. This is our God at work. He's the hero. He's the main actor. And in this showdown at Own Hill in our text, it's not just Samson fighting. The Lord is at war. And we can be certain right from the very beginning that God is going to win. God always wins. In fact, that's, that's a story of the entire Bible. God will win the battle. We can be sure of it right from the start. Those who fight against God will be humbled, brought low, defeated. But those who turn to Him and trust in His salvation, they will be saved. So as I preached to you God's Word this morning, I'll do so under the following theme. God's enemies are humiliated in the showdown at Jabon Hill. We'll look at, first of all, an escalating battle, second, a surprising victory, and third, a gracious refreshment. So in the, in the last chapter the previous chapter, uh, Judges 14, the hostility between the Philistines and Samson it began. We read about how Samson lost the riddle challenge to the Philistines at his wedding, and so he owed them all a, the 30 Philistines there a set of new clothes, and filled with the spirit, he went down to Ashkelon, killed 30 Philistines stripped them of their clothing, and gave them to his 30 Philistine companions. And with that, the battle between Samson and the Philistines had begun. Or we could say between the Lord and the Philistines had begun. Yet after that initial battle, there, there appears to be a ceasefire, if you will, a time of peace. Samson went back to his father's house, stayed there many days. But when the wheat harvest came, things heated up again. Samson decided to go back to Timnah to visit his wife. But his father-in-law prevented him, saying, I really thought you utterly hated her, he said, so I gave her to your companion. And it's easy to understand the man's logic. After all, his daughter, Samson's bride cried on Samson's shoulder the entire seven days of the wedding feast, claiming that Samson only hated her. And after the wedding, Samson completely abandoned her for quite some time. So trying to appease Samson, the man offered his younger daughter to him instead. But Samson was not appeased. Instead, he became more angry. This time I'm justified in attacking the Philistines. Samson went out to get revenge, and how he did. Caught 300 foxes, or or perhaps jackals. He tied their tails together. Stuck a torch in between the tails. Lit the torches on fire. And let the foxes loose in the wheat fields of the Philistines. Talk about mayhem. Being harvest time, the wheat would have been quite dry by now. It easily would burn up. And soon fires spread and consumed grain piles, wheat fields, and even orchard, or olive orchards. And you can imagine Philistine farmers running here, there, and everywhere, trying desperately to put out fires to save some of their crops. See, this was a a massive attack on the Philistine economy. Months of work going up in flames. Food supplies. They would run low. And olive orchards, they would take years to grow, to grow back again. Well, the Philistines were not about to stand for this. And when they learn the reason Samson burned their fields, they lash out again. They went up to Timnah. They burn Samson's wife and her father. Unsurprisingly, Samson feels even more justified in attacking the Philistines, even vowed, saying, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. After that, I will quit. Then it says, Samson went down to the Philistines, struck them with a great blow. We don't know how many Philistines died, but what is clear, it's far more than, than the 30 Philistines that Samson had killed at the end of the last chapter. And with this attack by Samson, we start to see a pattern emerging here. We begin to see a revenge cycle. First, there's some kind of attack by the Philistines. Following that, there's retaliation by Samson. Each time the cycle repeats itself, things get more intense. It's an escalating battle between them. And this is a cycle so far. First, the Philistines blackmail Samson's wife. Samson kills 30 Philistines. The man from Timnah gave away Samson's bride. Samson lets the foxes loose in the field. The Philistines burn Samson's wife and father-in-law. Samson strikes them with a great blow, killing many. And when we look all of, at all of this, we, we should ask ourselves, what should we make of this? What are we to learn from this pattern? Well, we might think this merely provides warnings about anger and revenge. And to be sure, we, we can learn that lesson here. After all, Proverbs 10 verse 12 says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. Or take Proverbs 17, verse 9: Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Indeed, good to learn that lesson. Yet that is not the main point of this text. We should ask: what is God doing here? What's He showing through the cycle and by this pattern? Well, here we see God working through Samson to end Philistine rule over his people. And no matter how hard they try, the Philistines are not going to win. You know, the Philistines, they believe they were kings of God's people, Israel. And in a real sense, they were. But because God was the true king of Israel... The Philistines would never beat the Lord. And God's enemies are never going to win against God's Spirit-filled Savior. Think for a moment of the mindset of the Philistines. If you were a Philistine in this situation, you would probably think to yourself, we should be able to win this battle hands down. Here we are, an entire nation against one man. Surely we are going to win eventually. The Philistines are missing something. They're missing the eyes of faith. They don't understand that God fights for Israel. They don't understand that no one can make war against God and win. The same is true of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate Spirit-filled Savior. And like Samson, God was using only one man, Jesus Christ, to save his people. And no one who fights against Jesus Christ will ultimately win. It just cannot happen. It won't happen. We see something of that during his ministry as well. During his ministry, you see something of an escalating battle between Jesus Christ and the religious leaders like the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were ruling over God's people. They ruled with harshness. They ruled for the sake of their own power. But then came our Lord Jesus Christ as he taught the people, as he associated with sinners. It drew the ire of the religious leaders. First, they tried challenging Jesus. Christ always had a biblical answer. Then they tried trapping Jesus in his words. It never worked. Christ left them stumped. Soon the Pharisees were plotting how they might kill the Lord. Surely they could defeat him eventually, couldn't they? But the rulers in the time of Jesus were never going to win against Christ. The same is still today. So I'm asked. First of all I'll ask you are you fighting against God in your life fighting against his appointed savior Jesus Christ Well you must understand that we'll never work It's useless to fight no matter how hard you try So we must give up fighting against God fighting against Christ But come to Him instead in humility. Find salvation in Him. Find life in Him. That's the only way. And at the same time, this message is comforting for us who know Christ as Lord and Savior. No matter how strongly people might fight against Christ or His bride, the church, they will eventually lose. Christ is on the throne. He will be victorious. And the church will be victorious in Christ. That brings us to our next point: a surprising victory. After Samson struck the Philistines, he returned to Israelite territory. Verse 8 says: he stayed in the cleft of the rock of Atam. Now, when Samson struck down those Philistines in verse 8, that's when the, the Philistines finally realized that they had to take this seriously. They knew they were not up against any old person here. So, this time, the Philistine army, they, they gathered, yeah, all the army together, and they encamped in Judah as if they were making war against all Israel, and they made a raid on Lehi, it says. So, no fooling around this time. It's a little bit like when Christ was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The chief priests finally realized they were not dealing with an ordinary person. So, they sent a band of soldiers equipped with swords and torches to capture him. Of course, ordinarily, that would be overkill for one person. But they realized Christ was stronger than they same thing here with the Philistines and Samson. Um, well, the Philistines, they did not immediately capture Samson, but their army captured the attention of the Israelites. Some of the men of Judah, they asked the Philistines, why have you come up here? They replied, we have come to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. And then we have... An extremely sad moment in the history of Israel. It might not seem like much at first, but it's actually shocking what the men of Judah do. 3,000 men of Judah, they went up to Samson and they said to him, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? See, this is simply not the way things were meant to be. Israel has completely given up the fight. They've resigned themselves to the rule of the Philistines. They're confessing the Philistines as their kings. But Israel was not meant to be ruled by God's enemies. God was their king. And how great a change this is from earlier on in the book, in chapter one, Judah leads a charge in battle, and they are successful. And in previous judge stories in this book, the judge got the battle rolling, as Samson does here, and then Israel joined the judge into war. But not here. Instead, the men of Judah even accuse the judge of doing wrong against them. You know what? We could face a similar attitude in our own lives. This attitude comes out when, whenever we might say something like, you know what? I'll never get over this sin. I'm a slave to it. That's just the way it is. It's just a part of me. And then we might just give up the fight completely. But understand, beloved, that attitude shows the same lack of faith as Israel in our text. You know, the Philistines are Lord over us. Stop fighting against them, Samson. You see, Christ has saved us from sin's dominion. Doesn't mean we don't struggle against sin. No, we do doesn't mean we're not in a tough battle. We are. But it does mean there is a fight. There must be a fight. The people of faith, they don't accept sin as their ruler. Instead, they fight against it, even though the battle might be fierce. Sadly, Israel had given up the fight. That's precisely because they're not looking with the eyes of faith, but Israel should have. Look at Samson, Israel. Look at what God is doing. One spirit-filled person is taking on all the Philistines. That's all it takes to bring salvation. Turn to God. He can give you his spirit too. Your enemies will not stand against you with God on your side. Live by faith. Sadly, Israel bound up Samson, handed him over to their enemies. Samson made them swear not to attack them themselves. But then Samson agrees to be handed over. They bound him with two new ropes, brought him to the Philistines. And when the Philistines saw Samson, they gave a great shout, thinking they had finally got their man. But Again, the Philistines do not understand the power of God's Spirit. Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson again, giving him incredible strength. The ropes on his arms became like flax that had been burned, merely nothing at all. Or to give another image, think of somebody in handcuffs. This would be like someone in handcuffs, pulling apart those those metal handcuffs as if they had suddenly become Plato. No resistance at all. Then Samson spotted a donkey's jawbone, he grabbed it, and he struck down a thousand men. A thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Surprising victory. So Samson proclaimed, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, struck down a thousand men. Samson's making a play of words here, a play on words. See, the word heap and donkey in Hebrew, they're virtually the same. So, Samson may be saying something like, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've made piles of donkeys all around. I've turned the Philistines into donkeys, and they're just piled up. Here they are. It's a statement of humiliation. The Philistines thought they had won, but now they are humiliated. They are defeated. And this is exactly the kind of thing we see in our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the people of Israel, they delivered up Jesus Christ to his death. They handed their own Savior into the hands of lawless men. But unlike Samson, Christ did not free himself in order to fight his enemies, such as the Roman soldiers. But he could have. And as the Son of God, he could have done so even more than Samson. Christ could have freed himself like Samson at any moment, humiliated those who tried to crucify him. Christ Jesus allowed himself to be put to death, suffering a humiliating death. And Christ's enemies the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, after fighting against Jesus for so long, finally they thought they had won. That's why they mocked him while he hung on the cross. You can be sure the devil was celebrating too. But just when they thought they had won, Christ dealt them a humiliating defeat. And Christ used the most surprising of weapons in this battle. He used the cross itself to defeat his enemies. The cross was a Roman tool for execution. The most unlikely weapon there is for someone being crucified. But Christ used it to defeat sin and Satan, death and the devil for us. Think of what we read in Colossians 2, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Or what we could translate it as triumphing over them in the cross. Christ defeated the devil and all his demons through the cross. He put them to open shame, beating them by being crucified himself. And on that note, it's fascinating to, to understand the location Christ was killed. The Bible says he was crucified at Golgotha. Golgotha is a hill outside Jerusalem. And it means place of the skull. We might even call it Skull Hill. While it doesn't refer to the skull of a donkey, the similar, similarities to our story are eerily similar. In any case, this is the great salvation God has won for us. As we read in Colossians 2, the record of death that stood against us because of our sins has been nailed to the cross, it's been canceled, forgiven. And so the devil no longer has any claim over us, death no longer has any claim over those who believe in Jesus Christ. The record of debt has been canceled, nailed to the cross, forgiven. Not only that, but in Christ we have been made alive. We're no longer slaves to sin. We have new life that we might serve the Lord. This is the great salvation we have in Christ do not reject a Savior as Israel rejected Samson. Put your faith in him. That brings us to our last point. By the power of God's Spirit, Samson dealt the Philistines a humiliating defeat, but then we are immediately faced with Samson's weakness. He was very thirsty, Call upon the Lord, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Samson is reminded of his weakness. The Lord, let him feel that. You know what? The Lord often does that sort of thing. We may experience a time of success in our lives or perhaps a period of strength, and then so often we forget that God was our strength the entire time. And so God sometimes brings us through a period of weakness or suffering, lest we boast in ourselves. And Sometimes we may wonder as we go through those times why it has to be that way. But without it, we would quickly be puffed up with Pride. And without it, we would never properly learn to lean upon God or call upon Him. Samson needed that too. He called upon the Lord, reminded of his creaturely weakness, that God is his strength. And actually, this is one of Samson's strongest moments, ironically. For as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, When I am weak, then I am strong. That's because when he was weak, the power of Christ rested on him. same is true for us. The Lord heard Samson's call, split open the hollow place at Lehi, water came out from it. God graciously refreshed his servant. The same is true in Jesus Christ. His strength was spent after the cross. He gave up his spirit. He was raised to life again. Hebrews 5 says about Christ, In the days of his flesh, Jesus Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. God the Father heard his Son, raised him from the dead again. And Hebrews 5 goes on to say, by being perfected in this way, Christ has become the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. See, if you put your faith in Christ, you will find refreshment for your soul. You will drink from the fountain of living water. You will find eternal life. In the words of Isaiah 40, even you shall faint to be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen.